time for scripture reading. This is coming from 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. This is from John 17, 14 through 18. I've given them your word, and the word has hated them. The world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Good morning. Good to be back with y'all. I appreciate very much Greg speaking. Um, in my absence, and we did, did miss you all very much. Um, over the past few weeks, we've been considering uh, the implications of this statement by Jesus in John 17, this prayer on the night before He was crucified, um, where He says that His disciples, the disciples of Jesus Christ, are people who are sent into the world. He says, as you sent me, Father, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Um, so today we, we're going to try to wrap up this little mini-sermon series on being sent like Jesus. This is our fourth installment. I think we did one when we had to Zoom because of snow that was sort of a, um, <clears throat> a little parenthetical treatment of one of the phrases or something like that. But there have been four sermons proper. Today, though, we're going to go a little more interactive as we try to like work out some of the tensions and relationships between some of the ideas inherent in this statement. And as we do so, we want to focus uh, and keep, keep in the forefront of our minds uh, and hopefully of our forefront of our priorities and our practice you know, going forward as a church, the twin commitments involved in the mission that Jesus sends His disciples on. And that is this mission to go into the world, into the world, this world, this sinful world, this idolatrous world, go into it, but simultaneously not becoming a people of this world. So with that in view, let's consider some important questions this morning. And as I said in the, the email primer, um, I, I would like interaction, you know, comments, thoughts as we go through this. The first question I want to pose is how can we both be truly in the world, not just give it lip service, but be truly in the world as Jesus was truly in the world, and also avoid becoming like the world, becoming a people of the world. So we're going to talk about that for a minute or two. So just to make sure we have the text before us and, and we know the biblical you know, constraints that we're dealing with, the biblical paradigm that we're dealing with, in John 17, in verse 15 and in verse 18, we get this clear idea that we are being commissioned, charged, to go into the world so that Christianity isn't some sort of bubble we create, safe from the world. That's a half-truth at best. Uh, we're being sent like Jesus. He says, I do not ask, verse 15, that you take them out of the world. The disciples aren't to go into a literal you know, monastery or some sort of figurative monastery, like a subcultural bubble where they never interact anymore and they've got their own everything. You know, and they're really just a separate society, a different world. Um, that's not the, the picture here. Jesus didn't do that. God so loved the world that He gave His Son and His Son came into the world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, all these sinners, um, all the constraints and finitude that goes with being fleshly beings, Jesus shared. Hebrews makes that point. That's one of the reasons He's qualified to be the great high priest for us. And then again in verse 18, as He prays to the Father, He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So that's one half of this that we've got to deal with. Um, but also, uh, so that, that's the in the world part, right? All right, keep that in mind, because we're going to hold that in one half of our brain, the left hemisphere maybe. I don't know which one of these ideas is more artistic and which is more analytical, but um, in your brain, wherever you want to put it at the same time, hold that idea and this idea, not of the world. In the world, but not of it. He says in verse 14 about his disciples, they are not of the world. Right before he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. So those two things are possible together, right? And then again in verse 16, he repeats it. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we're in the world, at least in theory, but not of the world. All right? 
Now, I want to raise this question, and this is a real, a real question, not a rhetorical one. I'm not just trying to frame the, the issue here, but get some feedback, get some, some ideas about this. Which of these, being people who are sent into the world, who are actually in the world, who, who are going into the world, respecting the, uh, the fact that we are sent people, on the one hand, or keeping ourselves unspotted by the world, or at least attempting to, we're not of the world, which of those is more important for being holy? Let's talk about that. Who has any ideas or responses to this question? Okay, Larry says, not of this world. Why would you say that, Larry? And we have a mic to, to, so that people watching the live stream can, can hear. I can speak for myself. Yeah. That would be very hard to do. You would have to have a total commitment to, to be not of the world. Right. So much going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Okay, Daniel? I think, I mean, I think Larry's answer is the obvious one and, and probably, you know, the one, of, the one that most of us would gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. I think trying to think about this maybe a little bit differently, you know, a lot of this has to do with our perception of what it means to be holy, mm -hmm. right? So it depends on how you define being holy. If, if holy is almost like a monk set aside somewhere, oh, that's a man of God, he's holy, he's, mm -hmm. you know, he doesn't look like anybody else in this world, then sure, that's, that's, that's right. But, you know, as Jesus defined his holiness, you know, and demonstrated his holiness, it, it was, it had that into component, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, yes, it was set apart, but it was set apart in the middle of. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think some of it has to do with how we define holiness. Excellent, excellent. Both, appreciate both those comments. Anybody else have any thoughts on this? Yeah, Mike, Go, Michael. So on top of what they just said, I, I think of it as like, you know, integrity. So Jesus had, who he was, it didn't matter where he was. Mm -hmm. He was still the same person, the same son of God. So in, in our case, we should be strong with Jesus and the spirit wherever we are mm -hmm. and, and be engaging in those things, but not necessarily, you know, I, I guess repelled by sin, but not repelled by the sinner. Right. Great. Great. Yes. John. I think that you have to be here. Be what's that? You have to be here to learn to go there. I've been in North Carolina for 14 years. And I want to get asked one question. Where are you from? In the north where I'm from, they say, what kind of neighbor would you make? How many motorcycles do you have in your living room? You know, that kind of, they mm -hmm. want to know about you. What kind of a neighbor are you going to be? People down here are very friendly, but we're not friends. I don't know anybody down you know, except church people, you know. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to go to different parts of the country. And I'm really, some places, struggling to, what am I supposed to say? Where are you from? Mm -hmm. Wherever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm where I'm from. I have no mm -hmm. idea. All right, um, let's, let's, all, let's frame that, that question. Which of these is more, is, uh, is, a, is more in line with this idea of being a holy people? Let's try to frame it now or, or map it over the text that we're actually looking at in John 16. So we've got this statement, they are not of the world, and yet I sent them into the world. Now, sandwich between those, think of those as two, two pieces of bread and a sandwich. The top piece not of the world, the bottom piece, but in the world. The meat here is this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 17 of John 17. Now, what does this word sanctify mean? It comes from a verb, hagiazzo. And it is the verb form of the word holy. Okay? Um, I believe the word for saint in the singular, if I remember right, in the, in the nominative, you know, the, the noun of a verb, the subject of a verb, is hognos. And we get the name Agnes from that. So if your name's Agnes, I don't think anybody here is, your name is saint, holy one. It can be translated saint, 
a holy one, the noun form, saint. Uh, it often is in our New Testaments. Um, it can be translated holy one or holy ones if it's in the plural. The basic idea of the verb, though, sanctify them is to make holy or to set apart. All right? To take from the masses the profane and set it aside, either you know, geographically, literally, or in some you know, theological or ethical or moral sense or something like that. But it's not just everything. It's unique. It's set apart, which is the basic idea of the word holy. And a, a couple of our English, this is the ESV on the screen, but there are some English versions that actually capture these different ways of translating this verb sanctify. The, the New Living Translation actually says, make them holy by your truth. And the NET, uh, New English Translation, says set them apart in the truth. All right? Th those basically, you can see, are, the, are, are two of the ways to describe the definition for this verb, hagiazzo. To sanctify means to make holy. That's why I'm using the word holiness. You may have thought, what's he bringing that in? Because this verse does. In the Greek, you'd see it instantly. Right? All right? Now, what does that have to do with any of this? Well... <clears throat> Um, we can be made holy uh, by, you know, by being not like the world. We're set apart from the world in terms of our morals, our ethics, our, our guiding narrative or story, you know, our worldview, what we believe is going on in time and what, how time is going to end. All of that makes us different. We may be working right beside people, doing the same thing we're doing it on an assembly line or whatever, but we, we're different even though we're there geographically. Another sense of, uh, and that's kind of the idea of holiness that I think Larry was talking about, which is the one we typically think of. But another way to be set apart is to be commissioned to something special, right? And this is, Daniel brought this nuance out. Um, for instance, in, in uh, Acts 13, in uh, Antioch, um, Antioch of Syria, before the first missionary journey starts, do you remember what the Holy Spirit says to that church as they're gathered there? This is Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and did what? Sent them off. So here, very explicitly, being set apart means being commissioned, being charged with a special mission. You're being sent. But they're set apart for that. They're not going to a different planet. They're not going to live underground for the rest of their lives or in a, you know, a submarine, right? You're going to see them. They're, they're in places like Athens and, uh, you know, Rome and all, all over the place. And, you know, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Central, and Central Turkey and so on. So holiness can have the idea uh, of a kind of moral or ethical um, separation, a difference, being set apart to some you know, way of living, but it also can mean you've been set apart for a cause, for a purpose, for a mission. And so we want to capture both of those. And I think it's interesting that this is, we've got to see both of these as part of this verb sanctify. So sanctify them in that they're not of the world, but also sanctify them in that they're being sent into the world. So both of those arrows matter. And it's very easy for Christians to emphasize one to the neglect of the other, to become so focused on being different and not worldly that we're no worldly good. You ever heard that old saying? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Right? As if the goal were to just, let's just build walls and fortresses. Let's just build a, mon a monastery, a monastic life in some ways would be the epitome of that. Now I know there's the good, good things you're trying to do too. Um, you know, getting closer to Jesus and being present with the Lord and all that. Uh, I'm not trying to impugn everything anybody who, ever, who was a monastic ever tried to do. But there's something that misses the gospel kind of 101 if your whole interpretation of Christianity is to be apart in a kind of separate geographical place or cultural separation completely, you're not in the world. You're not be going into the world as Jesus when he became flesh and dwelt among us. On the other hand, we've got to be set apart um, from the world in the sense that we're not just like it. We're not of the world. That sanctified, being made holy, being set apart means that. As well. So do you see the tension between those? The I don't really love the word balance on these kinds of things because I think that leads, makes people want to split the difference like it's an average. Um, they're both 100%. <laughs> it's not, ah, I'm kind of worldly, but I'm kind of on a mission. That's, that's not the idea. It's that you are 100% committed to both, and they're in, they're in some tension. There's going to be some tough questions you sometimes have to wrestle with. That's a good sign if you're wrestling with them. Yeah, Larry? Thank you, Corey. 
there, the difference to me is the word in the world or of the world. Right. So that kind of, to, to tell you about my comment a while ago, mm -hmm. you don't want to be of the world, but you have to be in the world. Yeah, exactly right. Those two prepositions are, are the, the whole you know, difference. Good, good point. All right. Let's look at this question now. Again, this is a real question. Love to get feedback, ideas on this. How can the Word of God... Oh, I forgot to say this. What, what is the agent doing the sanctifying here? I just gave away my... Somebody say it, at least. Let's play like you, I didn't do that. What's that? Well, the Word, the truth. Sanctify them, in, it's, it's obviously Jesus' truth, or God's truth, Jesus is God the Son. Sanctify them in the truth, what's His truth? Where do we find that? Your word is truth. So what that means is we will, we will fail this mission if the word, it always comes back to the word. Even if we say Jesus, like of course David's right, the word's pointing us to Jesus. The word isn't what we're worshiping, it's Jesus. But how much do we know about Jesus without the word? minuscule things a few references in greco-roman antiquity that's it you, you wouldn't be able to figure out even what he taught hardly without without the bible that's our access to he he's the the word and it's the word because they're so intertwined it's his word and so the sanctifying the setting apart the making holy happens by the word through the word in the word now, so that sets up this question how can the word of god make us more holy in the sense of being less of the world let's take that sense first right? Not of the world, the top bread in the sandwich. How does the Word of God, what are some ideas on how it does that? Yeah, Nikki? How does it make us more holy, more set apart? I was actually just going to talk about um, what you were just saying in Hebrews, how it says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if we're thinking about the definition of holy and that being set apart, it also can mean um, of no sin or sinless mm -hmm. and so in that sense we can think of that sword as being something that um, related to back in Matthew when Jesus was talking about taking off taking out your eye or mm -hmm. cutting off your arm I don't think he literally meant to do that mm -hmm. but if we see how he uses the word double-edged sword and mm -hmm. how sharp it is it's almost like in surgery mm -hmm. removing the parts of you that mm -hmm. prevent you from reaching that holiness. Yeah, great. That's really well said. So that's a, the image that he would use a blade says something. It's not always going to be easy, right? This could have a little pain when you're being detached from your old self further, transformed. Uh, Greg, go ahead. Either one of you. Go ahead, Mike. You got it. And then Greg. So um, you may be getting to this, but in First Peter, it says, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit for sure. And the Holy Spirit is inextricably connected with the Word, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit is the one who we read about gave us the Word. You know, the, hospital, the apostles in Ephesians, we got these things from the Spirit. They were revealed through the Spirit. We wrote them down. It, it, the Word comes from the Spirit. We know, um, anyway, I, I won't go on that too much, but yeah. I think it goes back to what Larry was talking about, you know, the difference between being in and being of. Mm-hmm the world obviously okay. there's a line that can be crossed yeah. where you go from being in to being of mm -hmm. and that's where the word comes in the word mm -hmm. gives us boundaries um, it tells us what it is we need to do in the world what mm -hmm. we're not supposed to do you know in the world um, you know, we, we got the boundaries there that's what exactly. the word is, is there for us so we, we it tells us how we can operate in the world without crossing that line excellent other thoughts on this one uh, yeah over Ben over here So I like to think of it of, uh, we're foreigners in the world. So mm -hmm. uh, when we talk about not of the world, um, in English a lot we use, um, we can substitute of for from. Um, in fact, I looked up the Greek there. I think they use the same word uh, for. Preposition can go either way. Yeah, ex exactly right. So we're not from the world, mm -hmm. um, even though we're here temporarily. So, you know, the word of God, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, it's kind of a guide or a link back to where we're actually from, why we're here now temporarily. That's well said, yeah. We're really from the future world, the, the new creation world. If anyone is in Christ, 
new creation. Like it started already. It's not consummated, but it's been inaugurated. That, that's in us going, we're like, you know, as I've often said, we're like people from the future. People go, wow, how, how do they live like this? Why are they this way? We're, we're, the, we're a picture of that world that we're from that's coming. It's already broken in with the resurrection of Christ uh, and in our lives if we're baptized into Christ, but it's coming in a fuller sense, you know, Revelation 21 and 22 talk about. Other ideas on this one before we leave it? Yes, Cindy. Many years ago, we had a Bible study. It was a study by Mike Cope, and it was called Living in Two Worlds. And it concentrated on how the Lord placed us in this world mm -hmm. to be the examples, to be the encouragement, to show them the way of salvation. But we have to make ourselves available mm -hmm. to all kinds of people we can't set ourselves above them and not talk to them and not be a part of their world and show them the example of Christ. Excellent. And we're going to revisit, if you can remember Cindy's thoughts for you know, 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to revisit. That's another way of saying what, what I'm trying to get with the final question this morning. Okay, um, a couple of passages. There, there are plenty we could go to. John 15, just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus says this, Already you, speaking to the disciples, are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So this idea of you know, clean and unclean, purity, impurity. Think of all the Pharisees and all the rituals of purity and how um, you know, they kind of had this idea that <clears throat> um, impurity is contagious. If you touch somebody, the impurity passes. Jesus sort of inverts that and goes around touching people who are impure and gives impurity, right? Which blows their minds. But His word is that clean cleansing agent. And so... Uh, if we're going to be people who are not of the world, who are from the coming world, the world that was begun with the, resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, then we're going to have to be people of the book. I know I say that a lot. It, it, it just really does all get back to the Bible because that's how we know anything we know to speak of about anything that matters. Um, so we need to be good Bible students and we need to be people willing to let the Lord work on us. And it's not fun, you know? That, that sword cutting on us that Nikki was talking about doesn't feel good, um, you know? Uh, like Tim Keller sometimes says, let the Word argue with you. Don't try to fit it into all your preconceived notions. Let it argue with you. Feel that pain a little bit. It's good for you. Um, I, it, it hurts. Because um, we're, you know, we're all being worked on all the time. Um, okay, um, and then one more, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, the very first couple of verses, in, in, it's, it's the salutation or the greeting, rather, in, in 1 Corinthians. This is that genre called epistle letters that Greg was talking about, one of the four in the New Testament. He is addressing the letter to the church of God that is incarnate, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, made holy, called to be saints. Your version may say holy ones. Now, right after this in chapter 1, just a few verses later, he starts talking about how he brought to Corinth this great Greek, you know, cosmopolitan Greeks. It's like a New York City or San Francisco or a Paris or a London kind of. People there from everywhere, all kinds of ideas. Paul says, I brought you the word of the cross. You know, a lot of people think it's foolishness um, or it's off-putting, whether you're Jew or Greek. But we know it's the, it's the power of, of God into salvation. He later calls it the gospel. So that's what sanctified the Corinthians. Were they all the way sanctified yet? Is there a worse church in the New Testament than Corinth? I mean, stuff will make your, you just blush. They're still called sanctified. They're still called saints. That's amazing. That gives me a little hope. I don't know about y'all. It's not saying that you're good. Paul, the, he reprimands the whole, the whole epistle. But he also doesn't say, you're out. They're They're growing. Growth is slow. Growth isn't, you know, a rocket launch curve. It's a stock market graph. You're trending up, hopefully. The dips are less intense and less frequent, you know, further apart. But anyway, all right, um, next question. What happens to our witness, on the other hand, if we're changing gears now, back to the other side of this tension. Uh, our witness in the world, we're out there testifying that this, this God named Jesus who is changing the world has already begun to change it and can change your life and our whole world for the better. We're witnessing to that, right? What happens to that witness in the world if we don't allow the Word to set apart our character and conduct from it? Let me get a comment or two on that. So we don't practice this, you know, 
holiness that is not of the world, because we're not letting the word change us enough. What happens to our ability to do mission, to be sent, and be impactful when we are sent? John. I was going to say the, I mean, the simplest thing is we're ineffective, we're useless, uh, we're of no value to the world if, if we're not being, allowing the word to set us apart and we're just like the world and there's nothing that we have that they want. That's right. What if we're really relevant though? What if we're really relevant? Like we speak their language, you know? We get, we get, we hang out a lot, we get, we, we, we know the music, we know the worldview, we're real in touch, we're hardly a, bub- a bubble, we're not living in some monastery, but we're just like them, or pretty close to it, you can't tell the difference really. How, how is it that that undermines our mission? Kendra, you don't have to answer that, you can answer that or do your own thing because you were raising your hand as oh, I was asking. Okay. Go for so, it. I, I feel like it affects not only our witness in the world but our relationships within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the original question, we, we have to take into consideration the context of John 17, which, you know, this, this um, the whole thing is about our unity. Right. Um, and, and I feel strongly that if we are one person when we are here and somebody different when we're out, it, it affects not only how we affect the world, but it affects relationships within the church. You know, we're, it's pretty easy to see when folks are, you know, a chameleon, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that, that it affects everything about us, our relationship with each other, our relationship with, with Christ. Right. Good. Appreciate it. Uh, got Daniel and then Ben, and then we'll move on to our next question. Thank you all. Good stuff. One of the things that stands out to me about this whole discussion is that, and I think your stock market trajectory is a great analogy, because we're going we're gonna to ebb and flow, right? We're going to have high, high points, and we're going to have low points. But, but this assumes that we're changing. It, it, it assumes that we're not like a static character behaving the same way for, you know, our you know, 50 years as an adult or whatever. Uh, you, you know, the, the, the call here is that we, our trajectory is in the right place. So th- at times we are very much going to look like the world. And that's just, that, that's part of being fallen, right? Um, but I, I think the way, one of the ways that we can stand out and the, one of the ways we can be sanctified mm-hmm. Um, be acted upon is that we are we're trending in the right direction and people see that they say oh goodness this guy's different than he used to be mm-hmm. um, and you know over the arc of a you know career in a workplace be like you know he used to act this way now he's a little bit different mm-hmm. he's you know has these other fruits that show up um, I, you know I, I think that that matters and I, I think that far too often you know we um, careful about how I say this but you know we, we, we are we relish too much you know we're fallen people, we're broken people, and we are, but it's almost like we're content in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there is a call to like, to be holy. Like, so it's, it's this, it's both, right? Yes, fallen, yes, broken, yes, sinful. I mean, and we, wear, we should wear that out front, but we should also say, but we're trying not to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so the, the part of the way the world is going to see us is by a changing and maturing conduct. And, um, I, you know, I appreciate that more as I age, hopefully, because I'm, seeing less and less of that in myself and like trying to trying to work on that but it's you know we should never be content uh to live in a in a fallen state right excellent ben i was going to link this back to what i said earlier about uh, not being from and that's a great point being from our future our future world but uh, over in second corinthians we're called to be ambassadors mm-hmm. so there is a you know a distinction uh, as we being basically an official representative Christ to mm-hmm. the rest of the world that um, while we engage in it, we can't fully assimilate into it because mm-hmm. uh, then we lose our distinction. Right. Now, there is a fine line between um, you know, separating and taking pride in being the other mm-hmm. um, than it is uh, engaging um, and, and basically educating, I think, mm-hmm. is probably the best way to put it. Yep. So good. All those are really good. Appreciate it very much. Okay. What happens, now turn it to the other side, if we, what happens to our holiness? Let's just, let's just go with be sanctified, sanctify them in truth. What happens to that sanctification? What happens to that holiness? 
if we fail to really engage the world. Yep, uh, Greg. Did it, was somebody else have a hand over here? Okay. Well, I think the easy answer is a, a disconnection and a lack of being able to really understand the people that you're trying to get across. You know, the, the real mucky, muddy life that goes on that you have to be able to understand and able to speak to people um, about, you know, about something otherworldly. Right. Um, because without that, it doesn't seem as though you it doesn't seem as though you really understand, you know, what what is going on, you know, in the world. Mm -hmm. Great. I mean, think about an ambassador. Go ahead and get Don, but think about to take Ben's analogy is, or Paul's that Ben referred us to the ambassador. How much training do diplomats and ambassadors have about the cultural mores and assumptions of the target country? You don't just go in there blasting, right? Maybe, maybe a general does that, but even there, the military's even like doing, you know, um, well, what's, what's the official title of Elizabeth? What's, I forgot her, uh, I mean, or like her MO, uh, MOS or something? So it's kind of, isn't it a little bit about rapport building and connections yeah, and stuff? Yeah, right. So there's this effort, and there's probably a lot of education. I mean, she was learning French. That's a lot on a human brain. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Nick? <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so, so it isn't just a deal of like, I'm going to go in there and drop a bomb, say you're all wrong. See how effective that is. Wrong about what? What are you talking about? I don't even, I don't believe those verses yet. Why are you using the Bible? That's circular to me. I'm, I'm an atheist, you know, that I'm not for the YouTube live stream, but uh, believer. Um, but you know, if the person's got that mentality, how's that gonna help them? You gotta do what, something more like what Paul did at Athens where he like gets in their shoes, not to compromise, but to bring them to where they need to be. You gotta start where people are, or they won't know what you're saying. That isn't to say you just sell out and become like them. Um, don't let the devil put that false distinction in our heads because then we're not gonna be into either. It's a tough, you know, road to hope. It, it takes a lot of honest introspection, I think, about our motives and that kind of thing. And a love for the word, really. Yeah, Don? Um, I was just going to say that uh, I guess one of the things that really, uh, ha what happens if we fail to engage is that we fail to fulfill the mission that Christ gave of going out and making disciples. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like the reason we're set apart. And when, if, if, you allow this idea that your holiness, that you're trying to abstain from, you know, being a part of the world, that you don't fulfill the mission God gave you to make other disciples, to preach mm -hmm. and teach. You're once again, like I said, you're useless. You're, you're you're not you're not doing the thing that you were created for. Right. So if if in the first missionary journey at Antioch of Syria, the Holy Spirit had said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul," you know. I'm going to send them into the world. You know, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's already been told that on the road to Damascus or thereafter in Damascus. So what if they had just said, all right, good. That means we're going to hate the world with a perfect hatred. You watch this culture war we're fixing to bring. That's not at all what, we're, what, they, what they're doing. They go to synagogues and they, they use the Torah and the prophets. Then they go over to Mars Hill and they're quoting Greek poets. They're getting people to the same place. So think of how much Jesus had to, what, how much change he had to endure by the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. All right. So yeah, we're not being sanctified if we abdicate our role to be set apart to go into the world either, any more than we just sell out and become like the world. There, there are two differences here, not just one, okay, as there often are. Uh, Greg, hit the mic there, Corey. Corey's getting his steps today. You should be up to like 900 by now. I think we've just got to realize that we hold dual citizenship. Yeah. And we've got responsibilities in both areas. And if we fail in our responsibilities to engage in the world here, then we've, we've lost our holiness. If right. we fail in our responsibilities, you know, in the, in the Lord's kingdom, then we've, we've mm -hmm. failed in our holiness. It takes both to, to, right. to keep the holiness intact. Great. Excellent. I love all the good metaphors y'all are bringing. Ambassadors. You know, dual citizenship, all this good stuff. Living in two worlds, like Cindy was talking about, Cindy DeVore was talking about a minute ago. Okay, um, 
angling down here toward our conclusion. Um, so sanctify them not only means not being of the world, it also means being sent into the world. You're being set apart for a holy mission. So think of the greatest cure in the world, right? If it loses its inherent properties as a cure, it doesn't matter how close it is to the person. It can be right on their nightstand. As relevant as all get out, it's right there. But it doesn't do anything different than a placebo or you know, a, a, a Lucky Charm marshmallow, which is, you know, Randy. Those rock. Sheree <laughs> used to take the oat, the oat part out and just eat the, the marshmallows as a kid. Anybody else? Confession? What? So we got several. No, so it's got to be relevant, but it's got to be relevant for a purpose without losing its, you know, saltiness, according to another metaphor we're going to talk about in another little mini-series later. All right. Um, now, just to underscore this point about holiness includes love, this is from Leviticus 19 where we're told to sort of rep God. We're to be His ambassadors. Uh, we're to reflect that we are citizens in His kingdom. We are His emissaries. We're being sent by Him into the world. Israel was called. Jake and I talked about this a lot in the Mission of God class. Israel becomes God's model alternative society built around the Torah, the law from the Lord, not what the pagans taught. Speak to all... This is Leviticus 19. Gary, you ever heard of this passage? Gary's favorite. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Sidebar, where is that quoted in the New Testament? Anybody remember? 1 Peter? Same exact, just verbatim for Christians. And then he begins to apply it. When you reap the harvest, so what's that look like? Well, when you reap the harvest of your land, you're not just going to maximize profits as if there's no other constraint in the world, as if the only ethics is profit maximization. He says... When you reap, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Why? I am the Lord your God. In other words, this comes out of the character of God who, I don't know how many, several hundred times in the Bible is called the God of the poor, the sojourner, and the fatherless. Um, sometimes the widow is thrown in there. There's like four categories. He's the God. He That's my name. I'm the God of these people. Nobody else hears them or sees them? I do. Why? I am the Lord your God. Then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the second half of the great command answer of Jesus, when he says it's to love your Lord your God with all, 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 the Lord your, God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, but there's a second liken to it, without which you really don't have the first one, according to 1 John. There's sort of two sides of the same coin. Right? There's a, a vertical and a horizontal facet. Love your neighbors yourself actually comes from this passage on holiness. Isn't that weird? He's not talking about don't do this and don't do that. Just, he's not just saying that. He's also saying there's things you've got to go out and do. It's not just what you don't do. It's what you will do now. And then he goes into other examples. Verse 34, you shall treat the stranger, the immigrant who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. He just plugs in the immigrant of the sojourner into the love your neighbors yourself thing there. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Again, I am the Lord your God. So, as we've seen, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, as he's called, cared enough and took his mission to his Gentile neighbors seriously enough to learn about their worldview, to relate it the gospel to their situation, to put the gospel in their terms, in their language. I want you to consider for a minute this quote from a commentator on the book of Acts who's talking about Paul's speech at Mars Hill in Athens. After Paul had you know, walked through the streets and witnessed just rampant idolatry and paganism and error, think of all the ways Paul could have responded to that. And here's how he responds, or how, how, how Willie James Jennings characterizes his response. Here is a serious Jew touching the unclean thing. Gentiles. Paul, formed in Torah sensibilities, is rightly, greatly disturbed by the idolatry all around him. But now he will do something absolutely stunning and marvelously productive with his outrage. He will not turn away from the idolaters, but toward them. 
This is what the gospel demands, a reaching toward and a reaching out to the point of touching and holding. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says on down in this text, God wants the Gentiles. He wants the pagans. God desires those who desire idols. Just because your heart's somewhere else, his heart's still for you. This is the truth that shapes these words. Here we witness a rhetoric of desire. This speech is driven by the irrepressible longing of God to embrace wayward creatures. Where am I? Greg, I like your system. I like the you. I gotta, it's not wired in my brain yet. Um, this speech is driven by the irrepressible, irrepressible longing of God to embrace way, wayward creatures by every means possible. I think that really states... How, Paul isn't compromising in Athens, is he? Anybody think Paul sells out? Somehow Acts 17 snuck in there, shouldn't have? No. He's being righteous and holy as he loves on these people who are so misguided, and he's, he's bringing the gospel. He gets to the resurrection, but he starts where they are. Then just quote Bible verses at them. They're not going to know what he's talking about. He does that elsewhere in synagogues. All right? So we've got to think that way. How do we tell the difference then, practically speaking, well, I'm going to skip this one. We're going to talk enough about that later. I want to go to this one. By what means can we distinguish a legitimate holiness? We're holy within the world from being hostile against the world, which is not biblically legitimate, I would argue. God so loved the world. That's not hostility. All right? There's going to be hostility for people who stay in their enmity eventually and at the end. But that's not what drives the Bible story. It's God coming into the world. How, how do we distinguish what is a legitimate set-apartness from an illegitimate kind of hostility or maybe even apathy and aloofness? Randy. Well, one way could be the um, emotions that we find ourselves feeling when we look at whomever we consider to be the world. And I'm thinking about two um, different scenes from the Bible. One, they kind of play through my mind almost like a movie, but you have Jonah who's sitting. I, I don't know why in my mind I imagine him like looking down over Nineveh when he's up there, and he's just like, just ticked. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not happy. He's griping about the plant and the fact that he's there in the first place. And he clearly does not, he, there's no love and care mm -hmm. for these people. Mm -hmm. He's just sort of there under duress, like literally. He's mm -hmm. been spat there <laughs> mm -hmm. by a fish. Yeah. Um, and then you think about Jesus looking over Jerusalem and saying, oh, I wish I could gather mm -hmm. you up under my wings like a mother hen. Mm -hmm. And both of those are the world. There were mm -hmm. plenty of you know, sinful, misguided people in Nineveh, plenty of sinful, mis misguided people in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. They were actually getting ready to you know, kill mm -hmm. Jesus. Far worse fate than Jonah had. Right. Um, but the like the emotion towards them, the attitude toward them is just like it's like a mixture of sadness, love, you know, pity, and then action. Mm -hmm. And the people are the same; mm -hmm. they're no different. But the the response of the person that's been sent there is totally different. Right. So using our emotions as a barometer, a gauge, maybe. And Paul, and then Ben. If you look at Jesus and the woman at the well, he could have said to her, you're horrible. Mm -hmm. You're going to hell. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. Instead, he brought her back close to him to where she went off and brought others close to him as well. Right. Great point. We, we've got to get to the place where we, we see the Jonah reaction or the instant need to say, you're lost, we're right, you're wrong. That, if that's your first thought, we've got to get to the place where those are kind of legitimating our, legitimizing our tendency to go out of the world, I think. We can easily use that as a justification and not be that involved. We need to see that as compromise. That's compromise. That's how the world works. How long have tribal rivalries, you know, violence been going on? Genesis 3? You see the seeds of it? I mean, that, that's the most worldly. It's, that's why it's holy to love your neighbor. Because nobody else does that, really. Not selflessly. So we got to see that as compromise. Not just, you know, so-and-so 
you know, got drunk the other night at the bar. Okay, the Bible talks about drunkenness. Shouldn't do that. Amen. But it also talks about holding up and not going into the world as compromise. That's not holy either. All right. Yeah, Ben, and then we're going to wrap it up. I was going to continue the same metaphor. Yeah. Um, you know, being an ambassador, you're, you're told, you know, people can see the difference by the way you talk and interact with them. Um, you know, it's much more subtle than an illegitimate, I think, of a, a colonizing force going in and setting up a fort with their, their guns facing out. And it is very much a separate you versus uh, yeah. um, uh, us mentality. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, practically speaking, I mean, we can see some of that in, um, monasteries or these these compounds with these you know uh, fundamentalist groups uh, mm -hmm. but even even closer home um, not here but if you go to some churches of crisis across the country uh, people walk in there who look different it's very insular I guess is what I'm trying to say right and maybe it's probably church of crisis the only uh, ones to have that problem but right right be, be, be a, be very insular and you don't want to interact with, even when people are coming searching for something so um, it's very much how you, how you walk and talk type of deal well said insularity I think is, is largely the problem you're not in going in the world if your whole mentality is we're insulated from that and man there should be no place friendlier to a, a sinner who's coming into the, if you're coming to the church I think you're probably seeking something uh, who should be friendlier and he is so right. It's not just Churches of Christ. It's a big problem, but it, they're not immune. Yeah. Cindy and then John, and we'll, we'll wrap her up. Appreciate all the good comments, y'all. Very good. I'll try to talk fast. Oh, you're good. <laughs> you know, we've moved all over the country, and, you know, when you move into a new community, you kind of have to learn their personalities and their jargons and that's even true with churches mm -hmm. you know there's certain churches of Christ that have this personality and others and the Lord has put us in, in an opportunity to be in that spot the rest of our lives mm -hmm. you know as children if our parents move across the country we're going to a new school we're going to be learn new teachers we're going to learn new friends you know we're going to have that opportunity to encourage and love one another mm -hmm. and it's not just how we are with the world it's how we are with each other yeah. you know we have the opportunity to teach each other mm -hmm. just because we're all members of this church christ doesn't mean i have anything not to learn is that a negative you can still learn yeah, yeah you still you. live you know you still learn from the children mm -hmm. and um so we have that opportunity and that is an obligation that we have to god to put ourselves in that position to love one another to encourage and to learn and to teach one another mm -hmm. and so i think that's where we are living in two worlds mm -hmm. and we are supposed to go into that world right. and take advantage of that opportunity well said all right john take us home John Snyder right here. My uncle was a great farmer. Mid-New York State. Heavily into grapes. He had roughly 400 acres of grapes. He never gleaned, he never cut his outside row near the road. <coughs> In fact, he would even plant them so they were like at an angle and people could get out of the car and walk in mm -hmm. and pick what they wanted and leave. And one day he was walking through his orchard and there was a, a woman about 30 years old and a couple of kids. And she said, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us. Mm -hmm. Right. That man could go downtown, he could cover the whole state, and somebody will say, Hey, Ken, how you doing today? Mm -hmm. If anybody wanted to know him, because he was a likable man that cared about other people. Right. And if you can't tell about from genuine mouth, from false mouth, you know, somebody that said, Oh, yeah, I love you, and I never talk to you, I never do anything for you, you know what I'm saying? They mm -hmm. can around you. All that is there. Right. Gotta be real. Appreciate you sharing that. 
All right, so wrapping it up. Uh, in this sermon, I've kind of decided to not give the title till the end, just so I don't know why. It came up funky, font-wise, but holy calling, holy character. There's a, you know, as, as Christ sends us into the world, and, and as he was sent into the world, he, he never compromises his character, if I can use that word of him, but also he never compromises his calling. And we have to think of that as a twin commitment, 100% both. We're eating the whole sandwich, right? Both pieces of bread and the sanctifying center. And so it, it goes both ways, sanctification does. It, it gives us a holy calling. It gives us a holy character. And so we've got to be true to both our holy calling and our holy character. Um, I'm not, you know, under any delusions. There's not a person in this building, I feel fairly safe in saying, who's all the way there on either of these. Uh, you know, everybody sins. So we, we're, all, we're all works in progress. And sometimes the transformation is painful. But if you, if, you're, if you get down about it, remember that the pain might be an indication that, that God's working on you. The Holy Spirit's working on you. Like, that's a good sign. It's not fun, but a lot of things aren't, you know, aren't fun that are good for us. So, uh, but don't go so far in one direction, we forget the other. That's the lesson for today. That uh, concludes a little mini-series. If there's somebody here today, Corey's going to lead us a song by way of invitation. We want to invite anybody who's not yet a Christian to become one if you're ready to do that, if you understand why Jesus came, that he came for you. Though you're a sinner, he died on the cross in your place, took the, 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 the burden of your sin upon himself, and will relieve you of that if you have faith in him and confess your faith. Turn to him in repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. He can make you his person. And we would love to help you do that or pray for you, whatever your need is. Let us know by coming down to the front while we all stand and sing.